Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of insight, wisdom, liberation, and empowerment. And we are promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. We are here to help you, our listeners, to knowing, being, and impacting the world around you. And you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Uh, there's several ways you can do it. You can call in 347-237-5230 if you want to get on the air. You can also hit us up on the chat room that is open right now. Uh, you can go to the chat room, Block Talk Radio, the chat room, Zero Today. Get in there and get your thoughts on there. Also, uh, we're on Twitter at Zero Network, Zero Radio at Twitter. Um and uh, hit me up on my um, email, PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. There's several ways you can do that. Oh, yes, go to our, ways, our Facebook page, the Zero Network on Facebook, and like the page, follow the page. You can catch up with all uh, shows, uh, topics from there, and uh, tune in uh, to the link. You can get access to the link from there also. Several ways, several ways. We just invite you to join us in all ways. We, we're glad that you are with us. This last Wednesday of April, this this year is going by so, so fast. I mean, it's just, it's hard to believe uh, Monday will be May, and it's my birthday month, and I'm excited about that. So, <laughs> uh, it's, it's going to be a, a wonderful time in May, we'll be sharing some things coming up uh, for May, and we hope that you'll join us with that um, as we go forth in that. Um but yeah, it's the last Wednesday of May, um, rounding up the last uh, few days of the first hundred days of uh, President Trump's administration, <laughs> 2017. Uh, ah, boy, it's been an interesting, interesting thing. But um, I'm not even going to talk about that. That's that's not what I'm going to talk about. Um, got an interesting thing I want to I want to talk about today, and. Um, the question is, who goes to hell? Who goes to heaven? How do one go? To, how does one go to hell? How does one go to heaven? Um, in light of one pastor's rebuttal and rebuke of 
um, uh, Gandhi and uh, former President Jimmy Carter. We're going to talk about that and put it in perspective because it's still something I wrestle with and I'm sure a lot of other Christians wrestle with. Maybe you don't wrestle with it at all. Maybe you have a clear, maybe you're clear cut on this answer. There is only black and white. There is no gray. I'd love to hear from you about that. You can even uh, share. But it is what it is. Uh, so that's what we're going to get talking. Um, I just want to preface today. Um, we've had several incidents that I, I feel I need to address um, regarding um, gun violence. Um, and I'm, 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 I'm starting off the show with this because I, I, I am an advocate of gun violence prevention, uh, gun safety, uh, responsible gun ownership. I am a um, fellow with the Every Town for Gun Safety. Uh, gun sense, uh, gun safety. <laughs> Every time for gun safety survivor network, I've been impacted by gun violence um, uh, uh, on two primary occasions, um, and um, just recently here in the state of Mississippi, uh, in Vicksburg, Mississippi, over the weekend, a three-year-old child had access to a gun at the home that. Uh, the child was, um, and uh, because of the access, the child played with the gun and accidentally shot itself fatally. And so three years old, with access to a gun, and is no longer with us because of that access. And just two days ago, right across the street from the church where I serve as pastor, New Bethel AME Church, uh, um, a teenager, 16-year-old, teenager um, who should have been in school because this is in the middle of the day um, in the park there's a little park and playground across the street from our church next to a Head Start Center which is also connected to a daycare center Um, and this 16 year old um, is in the park has gotten access to a, a a gun and for whatever reason, came to the gun, came to the park to play with the gun, accidentally shoots himself. Oh, grateful this was not fatal. He he didn't die uh, from the wounds, but uh, the thought of him having access to a weapon uh, and not knowing how to use the weapon and accidentally uh, shooting himself really is disconcerting to me. So I want to put out a message about gun violence prevention. Um, If you are a gun owner, uh, I want you to be responsible. I mean, this is not a shot at the Second Amendment. This is not anything to take away your guns, but this is a message of responsibility. If you're going to have a firearm in the home, and if you have children, minor children, please secure those firearms. Do all that you can to secure those firearms so that they do not have access to them. My grandfather, when we were growing up, we knew where his guns were. We knew where he kept them. But we never, ever touched them, even though, uh, you know, we, we they weren't <laughs> by any means secure. We just knew that uh, our behinds weren't secure if we touched them or played with them, you know, anything like that. He had one one uh, rifle that was in the house, uh, very 
I mean, literally right behind a, a, a chair that we could get. And matter of fact, most time we sat in the chair close to it, to the weapon, but we never once played with that. We had our own BB and pellet guns that we played with, you know. Uh, and we were taught how to be responsible gun owners. We were taught how to shoot responsibly, all of that stuff. But it's dangerous, you know. You hear about the gun violence that's affecting teenagers and teenagers right now, uh, young adults between the ages of 16 and 25 or 30 are committing most of the murders uh, statistically um, in the black community. I don't know what it is in the white community, but statistically in the black community, that's the general age group between 17, 16 and 30. Uh, they're they're the ones who are committing uh, violent crimes that involve guns. That includes aggravated robbery, burglary, or any of that. And so we must be very vigilant in our, you know, in our attempt to keep our homes, our families, and our community safe. Um, that's what that should be the goal of every person, every home homeowner, homeowner, gun owner, pastor, layperson. We want safe communities. And one of the ways of ensuring a safe community, if we know that we have people who have guns, legally or illegally, we know a lot of folks illegal guns, um, then we must be ever more vigilant to not allow access of those weapons to our children. Our children do not need access to those weapons. Our children do not need to be uh, killing themselves. Because they went and found mama or daddy gun. It's a sad thing. But unfortunately, it's happening. And it's preventable. So this is just a public service, public service announcement. I, I wanted to do it early in the, early in the show. Um, please, if you're a parent with a weapon, make it more secure. Do something to make sure that your home is safe. Your child is safe. When we have babies, we put the child, uh, child, child-proof the house. <laughs> that's, that's what they do, you know. Do the same with your weapons. Child-proof your weapons, and that that goes for shop items too, <laughs> knives, <laughs> all of that. Uh, do what you can to prevent uh, crimes like this. So um, it, it's it, it has to be done. It needs to be done, and I, I don't want to he- read another headline anywhere in the state and in the world or the nation. I don't want to read another headline where this happens when it's so preventable. But again, like I said, we must do what we got to do. Um, I, I saw a couple of headlines here that I thought I would try to get to. Um, a lot is going on in, in the country, and and it's just you know sometimes I just wonder um, what's going on. I, I'm I'm not one of these persons who's rushing to say it's the end times or anything like that, but I gotta tell you some of the things that's happening here, I you just have to wonder, you know, just what is going on, particularly with the church. What's going on? Why are we allowing? Some things to happen in in our churches that is just getting um, ridiculous. Um, 
and then I, I, I don't understand some of the things that um, are happening with the churches. Um, the pastor of what's the church in um, Jeez, I just forgot it just that quick. <laughs> I guess maybe maybe I shouldn't be reporting on it. Oh no no no. Okay, okay, let me get to this one. Um there is a um there was a story earlier really grieved my soul and uh it's a story of a young man. Um okay, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell this story then I get back to the the other one about uh Potter's House Church of Denver. Um the young there was a young man um, whose girlfriend committed suicide. They were college students, both college students. The girlfriend committed suicide, and um, he felt people were blaming him for her suicide. And because he felt people were blaming him for her suicide, he committed suicide. Um, and they brought up a new... And uh, again, uh, renewed the debate about uh, suicide being uh, an unforgivable sin. Now, Scripture does not say that at all. Scripture does not imply at all that suicide is an unforgivable sin. The church picked up on this um, um, centuries ago for some reason, and they've not. This comes mostly from um, the Roman Catholic tradition. And again, it's maybe a papal bull or something that was instituted stating this. But um, there's no, you won't find scripture about this. I mean, because technically there are scriptures where uh, people committed suicide, Saul committed suicide. Um, what about Eutychus, the young boy who fell out the window? Could that be considered suicide? <laughs> no, I'm stretching that. That's a stretch. But um, these two. Uh, these two teenagers um, um, committed suicide. Uh, she, I think, the young lady was pregnant. Um, but it's sad that. Uh, okay, I just pulled it up. Uh, uh, Marquise Brown and the girlfriend uh, Mercedes. I don't know, see her last name, but anyway. Anyway, um, there's there's a and I you go to the old black church with Ann Brock, her site you can find more about this story. But there are people who are saying that is it is an impartable sin, um, uh, and that um, refusal to trust in Christ is is an unpardonable sin. Um, now, but that isn't the case. The Bible does not commit. Uh, condemn suicide at all you know it, it again if you read through it you'll find several cases of persons who committed suicide but but uh, but it does condemn blasphemy <laughs> whatever blasphemy whatever blasphemy is <laughs> and that's a subject for another day so i just thought i'd share that story but let me get back to this story about um, Pastor Chris Hill, who's former pastor of the Potter's House Church of Denver, Colorado, has um, 
apparently he has resigned because he was having an affair with uh, one of his uh, staff members, I believe. And I'm not quite sure. I first I didn't understand, but I didn't get it. But uh, apparently his wife, who had been assuming that he was cheating on her, um, upon discovering that he was, sent a mass email to um, members of the church. I'm going to assume they must have been key leaders in the church. I doubt if you've seen the church. But I don't know. Maybe she did it mass I don't know. But anyway, she exposed him. He steps down for a bit. But apparently now he has resigned as the pastor. And, um, and they, he and his wife will be getting a divorce. Um, now, what saddens me, and I say this, uh, not in a mean, in any way condemning anything, um, any person, judging any person, because just as he put it, uh, got himself in that place, I, I know I've been in that vulnerable place before. I, uh, uh, I know what it's like, um, not to the degree of doing what he did, but I do understand. Well, no, I don't. He had a relationship with a person that he married and employed and um, served. She served as his spiritual daughter or something to that nature. I don't know. Daughter in the ministry. I, I don't I don't know what that means. Um, but this was a, you know, in some ways it's very much a, an abuse of power if he were <laughs> Bill O'Reilly. <laughs> He'd be forced to step step down or I don't know. I'm just I just had a little fun there. Um but what grieves me is that this is happening more frequently um with pastors and it's not just a heterosexual thing now because there are pastors who are their clergy or having extramarital affairs with homosexuals, you know, homosexual extramarital affairs. So um, it's an issue that we really have to address at the church, at the church uh, with our clergy, with pastors and lay people, um, I mean, you know, ministers in training or whatever it may be. Um, and it's really not about sexual purity as much as it is about being authentic and transparent and being aware of that sexual, you know, you know sexual desires instead of trying to repress them. How do you express them um, without it becoming sin? Or is that possible to do so? I don't know. Um, I know I know we have sexual desires, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I know what Scripture says about, uh, especially for for me being single. And I know what it's like to be a pastor who has fornicated and, you know, had committed sexual immorality. I know what it's like, and I know how to be accountable. And, you know, I've had to be accountable. Um, so... But, but but my thing is, while we're in this position, while we're learning of these acts, while we know this is going on, what can we do other than just sweep it on the rug? Yes, he's going to resign, but that's not going to stop his ministry. You know, he'll sit down for a while and he'll have another opportunity to minister. He'll have another opportunity, maybe another opportunity to pastor. It probably won't be a mega church, but there's still people who will be loyal to this man in spite of what he's done. And we who are... In the spirit must restore such a one, being aware of our own uh, givings to such occasion. And um, when we, I, I think when we do things like that, yes, it's a sad occasion. But we in the black church know this is <laughs> this happens more than we 
you know, this this is nothing new. This has been going on for generations. However, now you know we have a more means of of exposing, you know, and I know <laughs> it's nothing but the Lord has been keeping me um, from being exposed. <laughs> now take that how you want it. But my my point is, um, I don't want. I don't think we should run it through. You know, run him down because of it. But we should, yes, we should encourage him. Yes, we should pray for him. And yes, we should strongly, strongly admonish the young man, the man, to deal with his, you know, with this this thing, this this whole this whole uh, situation now. Because there are a lot of families that are affected by it. Not just not just he and his wife, but the young lady and her husband, their families, the church families. The church family must deal with it. The community surrounding the church uh, and um, the part of house family, you know, Bishop Jace has to deal with it. And those acquainted with Bishop Jace have to deal I mean, you know, this is something that he really has to adjust. And, yes, Bishop Jace will be dealing with um, – he may touch on this in this uh, – he has a, a, a conference that's coming up with a, a political conference that's coming up that he'll be hosting um, along with um, – Bishop Harry Jackson and um, I think Paula White, a couple other persons are involved in, uh, that that will be a part of this this um, political conference. But uh, again, this is something we have to do now. In the Amy Church, we do have we have a process uh, uh, regarding clergy sexual misconduct. Um, we have we have that in place. A lot of churches don't have that in place. Um, um, but that's that's again, you know. We we've got to learn to be proactive. We have to be proactive and less reactive. So um, I, I I'm confident that that um, this will lead to a um, greater sense of 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 spiritual um, desire. You know the need for a greater sense of spiritual connection on his half. But anyway, I don't know. I'm gonna take a quick break and uh when I come back from the break we're gonna come back, we're gonna talk about the subject that I really want to talk about. Go to hell with your good works. You know. Jesus said that he's the way, the truth and the life. Um and Doctor Robert Jeffers, who pastors First Baptist in Dallas, says it doesn't matter how good or noble or whatever, you still can go to hell if you don't have faith in Christ. Um so we'll talk about that and, and um, when we get back right after this. Those of you who've listened to my show uh, realize that 
uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, my computer crashed on me, and I had lost just, I thought I lost just about everything on my computer, all my important files and documents. But then I remembered that I had security. I had my files backed up automatically by Carbonite.com. Now, here's the good thing about Carbonite.com. They have the same encrypted technology that is used uh, for security, uh, e-commerce, transactions, all that stuff. They got it, right? And then they house it in state-of-art data centers that's guarded 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I wasn't worried because I knew my files were automatically backed up. And here's the good thing. I, I didn't have to worry about retrieving them either because I could access my files from any computer anywhere in the world. So if, if, if you, you feel like you're going to lose your stuff, I recommend Carbonite.com because that's the place to go. You don't have to worry about the cost either because they have a price for every budget you can imagine. Not only that, but if you go to that site today, you could get a 15-day free trial right now if you go in today. That's Carbonite.com for all your online backing needs. All they do is back up your files online. They don't do anything else. You can be guaranteed that all of your important documents, everything that you love on your computer will be safe and secure. Check them out today at Carbonite.com for your online backup. Welcome back to Zero Today. Again, I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Dio, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, and we're happy. It's the last Wednesday of April, and I know <sighs> I had to take a deep breath right there, exhale, just had to exhale. But anyway, so uh, we're talking about today uh, what counts as going towards heaven. What is it that is required for an individual to get into heaven? Or hell. Now, most of us, um, we hear the words of Jesus in John chapter 14 and 6, and we quote them over and over, and we say it over and over. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can see the Father except by me. Right? So, many theologians have taken that and, and said, and used it to say that, um, well, you can't get to heaven without going through Jesus. And and you know, as a as a Christian believer, uh my stance and I just say it out you cannot earn salvation and be reconciled to God and have your sins justified without going through Christ, without going through Jesus of Nazareth. Um by that I mean that it was the act of him being crucified Buried and being raised from the dead that reconciled us back to God, that justified us, and because of this work on the cross, by faith, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, just as Abraham obeyed God and it was counted him 
as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. Even so, it's the same with our faith in Christ. Now, does that mean, does that mean automatically going to heaven because of that? Hmm, that's the question. Now, of course, I believe that a saving work of faith and a profession of faith uh, in the work of Christ on the cross, Jesus on the cross, uh, as according to Romans 10, 9, and 10, um, that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead, we shall be saved. Um, I believe that. And, I, you know, we can go through scriptures left and right, all through Acts and um, others, of course, we can find that. But they're dealing with, uh, not with the word, with the writings of Paul, not dealing with the writings of others through the epistles. I'm dealing with the gospel right now, particularly uh, those that, the words that Jesus spake in the gospels, the ones that are in red in your Bible. Um, what does Jesus say? What are his words regarding himself as the only means of access to heaven? Now, let's go to the article. The article comes from, and it's on the Christian Post if you want to, uh, and several other outlets, uh, Christian Post, uh, Black Christian News. Um, uh, I'm quite sure um, um, several other posts. Um, websites have this story posted, but Pastor Robert Jeffers, who's the president, who's the pastor of the uh, First Baptist Church of Dallas, former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and um, uh, of uh, a supporter of then candidate and now president Donald Trump, one of the few, uh, one of the few um, religious leaders who uh, was the first to endorse him. His candidacy. Um, uh, Dr. Jeffers has gone on record in a sermon um, rebuking former President Jimmy Carter um, for uh, for an answer to a question uh, that was uh, presented to him at a conference of some kind where he was where Jimmy Carter was uh, a guest or a panelist. I I don't know. But anyway, um, the question was asked to President Carter, um, would, could a person like Mahatma Gandhi, who led the fight for Indian independence and who, although being a Hindu, um, preached a gospel, uh, preached the message of nonviolence that influenced uh, many other per- many persons I know, including. Uh, and more, more profoundly, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And so the question was, would, would Mahatma Gandhi uh, go to hell for not having a, a faith in Christ? And President Carter did the answer that he gave. I commend him. Said, um, in so many words, he says he is not the one who has the ability. To determine who goes where, he had he didn't have the ability to determine who goes where, 
and that um you know he lets the works speak for himself, right? Um to which Pastor Jeffers apparently um and I'm trying to pull this up now. I I had it and I don't know what I did with it when I had it. Oh. Let's see. I know I had it somewhere. Just <laughs> anyway. So let me see. I might be able to pull it up somewhere else. Um, but in in essence, Pastor Pastor Jeffers was. Uh, said he wonders what part of hell, <laughs> what part of hell Mahatma Gandhi might be in. And um, the whole point, the whole point of this is, you know, we forget when we we when we're so quick to place people in heaven and hell. Now let me let me preface this. Uh, this week, Arkansas, the state of Arkansas, executed uh, several persons on death row. And, you know, while there were judges who uh, put stay stay on those uh, executions because of the means of the chemicals that was going to be used to uh, do the execution, saying that it wouldn't, uh, it wasn't, not only was it not ethical, but, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't good. So, Anyway, uh, those persons were executed. People were crying out in defense of those persons, you know, saying that lives must be spared. There's, you know, no no eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, you know, abolish death penalty, so forth and so on. And, and then I think from the perspective of the victim's family, having had this happen before, you know, persons who have been murdered, uh, lives taken violently, you know, and you don't want you want to forgive, and so you do forgive, and you want that person to be able to live life. And then you think about no, in mo- in many cases they took out the lives of someone violently, and you know you think their lives should not be spared. What if those persons never, you never, you know, never re- show remorse? They never confess. Should they go to hell? That's questionable. <laughs> I don't. I won't condemn them, but I. I wouldn't be. You know, I wouldn't be unhappy if they. They were in there. <laughs> um, no, but this goes back to the the. This goes back to the argument of faith and works. Um, James so put it this way. You go through and you read the Epistle of James, the first chapter and the second chapter. And you you see the eloquence of the argument that he tries to present regarding works and faith. We know that um, as a believer, you should be displaying good works. However, at the same time, as a believer, good works do not exonerate you from having to confess a saving or profess a saving faith in the redemptive work of God. Okay, so the argument is that if a person is good enough, can they still have access to heaven? 
Well, the answer to that question is, if we were in the Old Testament, yes, that would be true. Because Old Testament required only one thing, and that was following the law, keeping the law. And the law was summarized, uh, that we, we call it the Decalogue today, the Ten Commandments. But there were several other addendum to that, addenda to those original ten. But uh, but Jesus summarized those ten in two, where he says, first, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first one. And then the second one is, love your, say, you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay, and those two um, were greater than the commandments and the prophets. So by that by that statement, it appears as if Jesus is saying, um, doing good works is great, but it's still essentially in and of themselves, the good works are not enough. However, loving God and loving your neighbor are sufficient. Then Paul comes behind and says, well, that's good and the law is good, but the greater of the responsibility fell on God to justify us. If Paul's argument uh, began really in chapter chapter 1 of, of Romans, his uh, the, the, the bulk of his theological argument for this begins in Romans chapter 1. But in Romans chapter 3 uh, and verse 23, and we all know that one, um, is something that we love to say. Romans 3.23, we love to say it. <laughs> in Romans, hold on, uh, excuse me. We love to say everyone has sinned. For all have sinned and fall short or come short of the glory, right? But we forget verse 22 and verse 23, 24 and 25 in that same chapter. Okay, verse 22 in that chapter, in Romans chapter 3, um, says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, Upon all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified, verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, and this is the critical one. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of Sins that are passed through forbearance of God. Now, and then you know, there's the other one, uh, Romans six. Uh, the other one, six and twenty-six. Uh, six and twenty-three. I'm sorry, I don't know where I get twenty-six wrong. Uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. Now, you have to put both of those in context, and when you put both of those in context, you see um, a, a very good argument Paul puts forth there. Um, but again, um, 
hell and heaven, differentiating it, uh, the two, by works. Um, because if you go by the words of Christ, and the way people have interpreted hell as being a place where there's nag- uh, gnashing of teeth and weeping and all that stuff, uh, um, and I'm I'm going to do a whole TV show on that because Jesus, when he's referring to this, He's using the analogy of a place that was literal, where you know he could. I use this this illustration and drive home the point of his illustration, but the scripture does not say. No scripture says. No scripture says that um, people go to hell for not believing in Christ. You will not find that in the Bible. You will not find a scripture where it says, you know, where there's clarity on it, where it's direct in saying, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you are going to hell. You will not find that. What you will find is um, scriptures that infer such, but it's not direct, and in the inference uh, is limited. There's a limited inference. It's not a direct inference. It's not a coded inference. It's just limited. By limited, it means that out of context, if you single it out, you can say this is what this is saying. But but then you put it in the context of the writing, particularly when it comes to the, the writings of Paul, um, which is where we get a lot of this from. Um, where we get a lot of this from, you know, that that's what it is. Now, it, you have to be clear. Um, for example, when Jesus in in Matthew twenty four twenty five somewhere in there, um, Jesus is doing his talking, um, and most of what he's talking, we we've interpreted to be for 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 saying you know prophesying end time, and uh, some of it could be interpreted as that, but other most of the time. It was prophesying, but it wasn't prophesying far into the future, but mostly, you know, a limited time frame. Because Jesus was very insightful. He had an insight into uh, the contemporary world that he lived that was remarkable. He was able to understand the dynamics, both politically and spiritually, and he he spake to such. He spoke to that, the dynamic of the religious uh, leadership and of the political leadership, and and in in Jerusalem that was one and the same. Um, you know, the political and religious limit leadership were both part of an oppressive regime, and so they they didn't really have freedom. But I digress. Uh, but in in chapter twenty five, this is what it, one of the things he talks about. One of the stories um, he talks about is that there were people who went out and did good. You know, um, and Jesus was like, well, you know, depart from me. I don't know you. And they were like, well, how do you not know me? You know, did I prophesy your name? Did I do any of that? And he goes and he says, look, um, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. When I was a stranger and I needed clothes, you didn't take me in. You didn't give me clothes. When I was sick, you didn't visit me. When I was in prison, you never came to saw me. 
And he said, so, you know, depart from me. Go into, you know, your curse, go into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. Okay, now, Jesus was saying this as a parable. Uh, he was not saying this about himself because he's not saying, I said this. But he's he's telling the story of a king. This is what a king said, the person. And it's not clear if he's implying himself being the king. Okay? It's not clear if he's implying that he is the king and there were persons who declared themselves to be righteous, but their righteousness was insufficient because what he said needed to be done, what they did not do. And then to the others who were deemed you know, insufficiently righteousness, righteously, uh, he says to them, well, you did what was required of you. And so, it, it, you know, we when we take we have taken this and we said, well, this is what Jesus said. Jesus is the King. He he's not talking about someone else. It's not a story, but it is a story. It's a parable. He's he's conveying a point. It's a political point as well as a, re- a religious point. He like I said before, he had an amazing way of doing that. But his point remains the same until we get to the last part where he says, "Depart from me, you curse an everlasting fire." You know where the devils and the angels are. Now. Does that mean that those people who he rejected, rejected him? He rejected those persons. He said those persons, uh, what they did was insufficient for him. And because of their insufficiency, they were then unqualified to be in his presence, to be where he was. To they, they You know, he said, come to me, you know, but then he says, depart from me. You know, right and left, the sheep and the goat. Y'all go back and read it. It's there. So the question becomes um, <laughs> of sufficiency, of salvation uh, for um, for hell or for heaven. And the question that's that's the question, you know, is that sufficiency? By this standard, um the sufficiency looks to be doing good works, a saving faith. That's by but there's the conflict in that. Uh, you know, that's the conflict in that because in um uh there's also scripture that shows where uh well most again, this is mostly Paul's writing. Um, faith and justification is is necessary. Um, so it's it, it's it's still confusing. If we see Jesus as the incarnation of the Father, as Paul writes, you know, in Colossians and Philippians, that Jesus is the incarnation of the Father, and that by believing on the incarnation of the Father, we receive the redemption of the Father and become adopted as sons and daughters of the Father, having fulfilled, uh, have become now heirs and joint heirs of the promise. And maybe some of this is not making any sense to you, uh, but if all who have a saving confession in Christ are the only ones who will be 
saved and in heaven, uh, then <laughs> that which is the exclusionary position of Christianity. You know, that's what most Christians believe. You got to be saved. If you're not saved, you know, you don't get on the old ship of Zion. Tis the old ship of Zion. <laughs> um, then your chances of being with the Father are null and void. And your chances of being down deep in the lake of fire for eternity are greatly increased. Um, so, what does that put us in? As pastors, as teachers, as believers, where does that put us? What do we do? Do we say, just believe only? Because there are some who preach, well, once saved, always saved, and, you know, your sins may be as scarlet, but wash them white as snow. If you have a faith in Jesus, he'll come and cleanse you and make you whole and you got a new name, a new home, a new robe over in glory, a mansion, and streets of gold, and so forth and so on. But if you don't, well, you'll be down there with all the mother heathens who heard and did not believe. Now, and and um, and see, this is this is where. Where it gets confusing because we know that before the work of Christ on the cross, there was only the law. That was it. Conversion was by believing in God of Isaac, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was it. Believe on the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is above all idols. Believe on him, and you will be saved. And that required circumcision and required to adherence of the uh, Mosaic law. And you became a proselyte. Matter of factly, Muhammad, who is credited with finding, founding Islam, was a converted, a convert to Judaism. He converted to Judaism. And he was saved by the standards and began to preach the one true God. Of course, that became skewed over time after he died, as he be, became known as the prophet, God's prophet, and his followers followed him. Um, that's a whole different thing I'm not going to get into. Um, and, 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 and that does beg the question, because the, is, the Muslims... Those who follow Islam have a shared belief, just as those who follow Judaism have a shared belief in one God. And and that was it. We have a shared belief in one God and three persons. Blessed Trinity. Um, so, but then, you know, anyway, I'm getting too far off. I'm, uh, <laughs> I don't want to even get too far off. But the question is, you know... The question I initially presented, the original argument, was, is persons like Muhammad Gandhi in hell? Are they in hell? And Jeffers went so far as to say that uh, Jimmy Carter is leading other people to hell because of saying that people like Muhammad Gandhi, Gandhi are not 
are not in hell or may not be in hell. But I tell you this much. I bet a lot of us are going to be surprised when we get to glory and find who is there and who are not there. <laughs> but, I mean, if we're going to preach the gospel, we must preach a, an inclusive gospel. Yes, we must uh, preach. Uh, if we're going to preach it like we, we quote John 3.16 and put in this context, you know, John 3.16 is not by Jesus himself, but we use it today within that constraint. But is in in original content in context it's not about he's not talking about himself. Um, but hey, what do I know? I don't know. But anyway, if we're gonna preach an inclusive gospel, we we can preach John three sixteen. Whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have an everlasting life. Whosoever God sent his only begotten Son, okay. Whoever believes in him perish. Did not say when they believe in him. I know a lot of persons that I, I believed I led to Jesus Christ. But I know now in retrospect, I did not lead them to Christ. I I kind of, uh, I didn't persuade them. I kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I shamed them into Christ. I scared them into a saving faith in Christ through my preaching. I made them fear hell, going to hell, especially when I was a kid. You know, I'm talking to other children and other teenagers, and I'm telling them about going to hell while they're teenagers. You can imagine how that was. You can imagine how how it was. And, and I had to repent of that. As I progressed, and I did, and I still do, because I realized that I was doing more harm than help. I was putting a fear, and I was I was baptizing them in fear, so that everything they did, the life that they lived, would be lived in this this idea they could lose their salvation if they sinned. God would not love them, you know. God didn't love them because, uh, you know, they're going to sin and. When they sinned, that if they died in their sin, or they died while they sinned, they were going to go to hell. And I was very wrong from that, for that. And there are many preachers who still preach that. That's not to negate the idea that you must repent of your sins. You don't want to continue in it. Paul writes in Romans 6, so we continue in sin, that God, uh, the grace may abound, God forbid. Oh, no, that's not what we should do. However, we should offer opportunities for everyone uh, to hear the gospel message. And to know that there's an opportunity for them to renounce their sinful nature. For them to be redeemed from their nature. Uh, now, if they're selling on good works, then let them do good works. And when they meet the Creator, when they meet God, whenever that may be, they may find and hear and know the message which we preach, the gospel of Christ. But it's not our responsibility, you know, because Paul writes again in Romans chapter 8, there is now no condemnation, those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, now, those outside of Christ Jesus, to also is part of the audience that he was addressing, those Jews who had not been converted, those his, his brothers, his countrymen, that he wanted, he said he wished above all things that Israel be saved, that they, they would not reject the message of the Jesus 
Jesus the Christ. Of course, many did, and many do to this day. But our responsibility is not to be condemning folk to hell. That's not our responsibility. If they are doing good works, we should celebrate the good works. We should acknowledge that they are doing good works. And we should also let them know that your works are good, but they are still insufficient. They are insufficient. How would that be? Look, I got to get out of here. I really appreciate you guys joining me today, uh, this last Wednesday of April. I'm so grateful that you thought it not right to share. I want to invite you to continue to listen to the broadcast. You can download all the uh, archive shows that we had simply by going to blogtalkradio.com slash zero today. You can listen to them. You can also download for your iPod, iTunes, uh, iPad, all that stuff. Uh, they're available in iTunes, so you can download the podcast there and visit again the facebook page uh zero network and see the shows there and listen uh, there and always encourage you to stop by uh subscribe to the uh, uh like the show like the page and all that other stuff um and um we appreciate all your support everything you do and to help us go and if you'd like to make a contribution to zero today you're welcome to do so you can uh, simply do it by pay via paypal at pastorlorenzoneal at gmail.com and we appreciate any gift that you share with us to help this broadcast uh continue we'd like to do some you know like to pick it up a little bit take it up a notch that's our goal and we hope we'll be able to do that but uh we appreciate you all your listeners begin again tune in uh Every time we have a show, we're glad that we're able to do it, and we invite you to tune in uh, Wednesdays. Until then, I have got to get out of here. You guys have a wonderful day and rest of the week. God bless you. God keep you.